Hello and welcome to Sounds Heal Podcast. I'm your host, Natalie Brown, and thanks so much for joining me as we continue to explore the fields of sound healing, sound therapy, and using sound for health and wellness. This is one of two episodes this month for the two-year anniversary of this podcast series. What a wonderful time it has been, and what an honor to facilitate conversations with such dedicated, fascinating, and passionate people in the field. I thank each of them for their contribution to the sound community. It has been a wonderful learning experience for myself and hopefully for the listeners as well. And I thank all of you for your support of this podcast. Our guest today is Rudy Bach. Rudy performs and teaches sound meditation using a large collection of antique Himalayan bowls. He works with individuals and groups, and we get into a conversation or a perspective that I really appreciate, the personal qualities of a sound worker or sound practitioner. What are we sensing, and what are we listening to in a session? How do we connect with our client or the individual? How do we reflect them? And how do we create trust during the sound sessions? We talk about a lot of different considerations, aesthetics, choices when it comes to which bowls are used, and he shares several stories about different responses people have to sessions. So I really enjoyed this conversation with Rudy, the perspectives he shared, and his openness. This episode is sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. The Ohm Shop offers a huge variety of sound healing and vibrational tools for really professionals and those ready to make sound, sound healing, and this vibrational work part of their life for themselves and to help others. They have the country's largest showroom of quartz crystal singing bowls, sound healing instruments, and other vibrational medicine tools. And I've been really lucky to teach workshops there, so I know from experience that they really take uh, the time to get to know their clients, their customers, and really offer help to recommend the tools that would be the right ones for them. Also, if you're in the Sarasota area, it would be great to stop by, check out these tools, but also their luxury spa. They have treatments such as sound healing, energy work, massage, vibroacoustics, hypnotherapy, and they truly offer a holistic experience for practitioners and those seeking healing. So thank you so much to the Ohm Shop for their sponsorship. Please enjoy this episode with Rudy Bach. Why don't we start first about your background? Of course, uh, we'll get into what you do now with sound, but uh, tell us a little bit about your progression that then led you into sound, but just influences and highlights from your childhood that stick mm. out to you. Mm -hmm. Well, I grew up uh, in New York City uh, in the 70s, uh, and then I moved to the Berkshires in Western Massachusetts um, when I was about eight or so. And while I was in New York, my father befriended um, an Asian antique dealer named Rudy, uh, who became my godfather. And I think that had a big influence on, on some of the things that my dad um, ended up bringing into the house over the years, things that he had gotten from Rudy and uh, started to collect things um, after we moved. Um, and uh, uh, Rudy was um, uh, a teacher in the late 60s and, and, and early 70s. And my father studied with him. And um, I remember Rudy coming into the, to the apartment to lead meditations. And he had a, a tambura, uh, a four-stringed instrument. And they would um, do these uh, uh, full moon meditations um, that I remember as a kid. And, and Rudy would play this repetitive droning sound. Um, and people would chant to it or where they would go silent and and the drone sound would continue and 
I was four, five, six years old, um, and people would be sitting in this circle, and um, and that's all they were doing was repeating this sound and repeating this drone. And um, I think that was probably one of my earliest influences in terms of um, sound as a as a meditation tool, as a as a, a way of nesting into or, or sort of slipping into a pocket of sound. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then also, I think it, it also sort of became a lullaby for me, um, just being so young at the time. Um, and then years later, my, my father gave me a, a, a bowl. Mm-hmm. Um, I was in my late twenties and, um, at the time, I really didn't know what to do with it, so I used it for spare change in my car keys, and <laughs> it sort of sat by the door for a couple of years. And then he, he called me up and he said, um, "You know, do you still have that bronze bowl I gave you for your birthday years ago?" And I said, "I did. I, I, I think I had laundry quarters in it at the time." And he, um, he kind of walked me through what it was and where it was from, and. Uh, he, my dad was a sort of a student of of um, philosophy and 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 uh, a bit of a religious studies scholar, and um, so a very uh, a pan sort of pan spiritual upbringing. Um, he wasn't a Buddhist. He wasn't uh, uh, he wasn't following any particular thing. But sort of a la Ken Wilber, he he started to really move into that integral approach towards uh, perennial philosophies and um, and I think that uh, you know in my studies with with Mitch uh, Noor this notion of um, harmonic sound uh, existing throughout all cultures um, really grabbed me as uh, something to follow uh, when I uh, graduated high school uh, I ended up uh, going to college uh, at UMass in Amherst and got a degree in scenic design for the theater. And um, uh, I was always interested in sound design. Um, and so you, you sort of try and do a multidisciplinary approach when studying theater, and then you kind of drop into one thing. So scenic design ended up being my main focus. Uh, and then sound design was sort of a secondary interest. Um, uh, and that... Uh, oddly um, led me uh, out to Seattle uh, in my early 20s. And I got a gig um, helping to move a museum from one location to another. They were closing down one old museum and and reopening. And so for about six months, I was packing art and helping to reinstall it. And that ended up leading to uh, about a 25-year career in art installation uh, and and um, museum exhibition, and um, and the theater design piece kind of uh, slipped in and out of those twenty five years, and then at one point, maybe mm, ten or twelve years ago, uh, I was doing working on a set, and somebody um, the producer needed somebody to do some sound design, and I had a a, a, a reasonable background in it, and. And so did the sound design for that show and ended up really following that as well. And, and, and has, I've done sort of more sound design for theater than set design. And um, uh, somehow I would say th- these, these uh, interests in, in the aesthetic of uh, the, the, the visual moment uh, when, you, when you walk into a theater, what you see before the show even starts and then the things you hear during a show, um, sometimes they're very subtle. Um, of, of course, the predominant thing being the sound of the voice of the actor. And, um, and um, vocal work has also been very interesting to me, how people use their voice, their tone of voice. Um, and so that's sort of interweaved in my, in my theater background. Um, and... Um, uh, and then uh, the other pieces, uh, my father was also a psychotherapist, as was my stepmother and stepbrother. And, um, and I took an interest in psychotherapy um, in my 
mid thirties. And uh, while living in, in Seattle, I started studying something called voice dialogue, um, which is uh, working uh, really with the, uh, what you would say is uh, aspects of the personality that, um, uh, that we all have, uh, parts of us that uh, we get identified with, and then the parts of us that we are disidentified with, and how those parts uh, of us um, uh, can um, sometimes uh, uh, get out of balance, and we can over-identify with some parts of us, and and the disidentified parts can come and, and really tip over the ship. And so in sound work, there's, there's um, an interesting element, which is, you know, how do you allow for the discordant sound to enter and, um, and so to not always necessarily make it melodic and harmonious, but allow some of those slightly more um, angled or, or odd sounds to slip in and the voice dialogue work uh, is an interesting metaphor for that as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's, I guess, uh, uh, I guess I would say that's a, a reasonable um, framework for for sort of how I got here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's really interesting that um, as a, a real youngster, I mean, you were introduced to to ways to enter a meditative state um, just through the the kind of drone instrument. And I'm curious through what you've kind of just guided us through as, as your journey, when came the kind of sound meditations um, that you do now? I understand that you have a quite a collection of rare antique instruments. How did that kind of build and how did sound meditation really become a part of your life mm. and your practice? Mm -hmm. Well, uh, <laughs> so it... it um... It started. Uh, it started about eleven years ago. I was. Uh, I found myself um, uh, in a in a in a deep funk, um, a, a, a long, extended, dark night of the soul. Mm -hmm. um, there was somebody that I was seeing, and and it didn't work out, and we broke up, and I. Um, I really uh, traveled inwardly and I couldn't get out of it uh, for a long time, for about 18 months. I, um, I really couldn't see the light of day. And I was sleeping a lot and um, depressed on every level. And uh, one, uh, one day somebody told me about a, a sound bath that Alexandre Tanu was gonna do um, at Racebrook Lodge uh in sheffield and i didn't know what that was but they said um you should go and something <laughs> a bell went off uh, and uh and i had i mean i really wasn't going outside i wasn't seeing anybody i mean it was a long a long 18 months but something did uh compel me to go and so i dragged my sorry heine over there and um laid down with um um, oh, there must have been about 25 of us or so. And just before I laid down, I looked um, at his setup, and he had had a, he had a gong and a few koshi chimes, and maybe um, eight or nine bulls. But I, you know, I vaguely sort of put together that 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 I had one of those, you know, that my father had given me one. But these were much bigger and and darker. Mine was sort of much more more cleaned up and and his were more banged up and and beat up and um so anyway i laid down and uh for the next hour while he played i was completely lifted um from my depression one 100 percent i i was uh within 10 minutes Shoot, that story had evaporated. Uh, the thing that I had been going through just completely dissipated, mm -hmm. and um, and I really was uh, moved back in touch with something um, much more familiar to to who I felt I was, and much lighter, much cleaner, um, uh, like a, a memory of of my better self, and um, it was really extraordinary. 
to 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 have something like that where I was doing nothing therapeutic. I wasn't doing a handstand. I wasn't reliving my childhood. I wasn't writing in a journal. I wasn't doing a mudra. I wasn't fasting. I, I, I wasn't doing anything. It was all being done for me, around me, to me. And, um, and, uh, I sat up and, and was so, uh, taken by how light I felt. And I realized that there was really, there was really something there for me. Uh, I had been told by my doctor that I should be on antidepressants. And I just, for some reason, felt like I couldn't do that. And uh, I felt like there was something else. And, um, and when this experience happened, I realized I, I had found it. Um, and then, uh, ironically, or magically, or strangely, when I went out to the parking lot to get in my car, uh, my phone had a text on it from the person that had broken up with me mm-hmm. and they had left me a text and I hadn't heard from them in a long time. Wow. And the text said, um, I miss you. I'm sorry. Um, I'm sorry for the way I left. Wow. And then I knew <laughs> that was something. <laughs> so that was a, uh, there was something really here for me, yeah. um, you know, yeah. forgiveness and healing. Yeah. Well, I imagine that almost launched you into wanting to discover why. I mean, why could something like that uplift you and cleanse you in that way? Mm. So where did it lead you next? What did did you find the answer of kind of how that happens and, right. and, and changes us? Yeah. Well, I, I, um, I was fortunate in that I lived not far from a fellow uh, – who um, had a, amassed a small collection of bowls and had a small shop and sold a few. And um, he and I were friends. So I knew where to go for a few and I had a few extra bucks and I, I started to um, purchase them, uh, purchase two or three. And I um, uh, just worked with them on my own, placing them, usually just sort of placing them on my body, on my chest in particular and playing them. And so I faffed around with those for a while and created a small set um, of maybe, uh, mm, I think, four or six um, bowls and um, started playing them for friends and uh, and working with some friends with them and, and um, just especially friends who were going through something, just helping them settle in. And um, uh, there was a yoga studio um, about, I guess it's now going on eight years ago. And the, the woman who ran it was doing a restorative class and knew I had a few um, bowls and asked me if I'd like to come and, and run the Shavasana part of the class. And um, so she would do about a half an hour of restorative uh, yoga, and then I would come in and do 25 minutes or so of bowls. And I really liked what was happening, um, both with me and and just the experience in the room, um, giving people a a, a little um, what a little carpet ride, a little a little uh, a little something to to snuggle into as they were going into their you know resting phase. Uh, of the session. And so then I, I picked up a few more and maybe I had uh, about a dozen or so and then ended up doing a regular class at this yoga studio in Great Barrington uh, for uh, just under four years, a uh, couple sessions a week, um, um, usually with six to eight people, something like that. And, uh, and then I heard about uh, Mitch's uh, work in Pennsylvania, Nine Ways Academia, and um, took my first week-long session there. Um, and he really, you know, exposed me to to the to, to the to the nature of the work um, and how that how primarily the, the the person playing is the instrument. The bowls are sort of the tool. He did a lot to demystify. Uh, the instruments, um, uh, which you know, didn't make them less significant, but he definitely took 
kind of a bit of an iconoclast with with the whole Tibetan piece. And um, and then I I then tracked down. Uh, it turned out that Alexandre was you know did some regular um, group sessions, and so I went and and sat in on his sessions several times and listened to his talks. Um, and and that sort of led me into just my own study and self-inquiry uh, with them. Um, and then uh, uh, a woman named Jillian Pransky, who's really the, the godmother of restorative yoga, um, uh, asked me to do a, a session for her students at Kripalu. And um, it was about 90 students. And that was my first exposure to a big group uh, and I ended up working at Kripalu uh, for about two and a half years. Uh, and those sessions were with large groups between 150 and 200 people. And over the course of my time there, um, some five to 6,000 people um, sat around this collection of bowls that I have now, which is about 35 instruments. What guides you to which bowl you're, you're going to play? What kind of uh, directs you as far as um, a particular purpose be behind the bowls and, and why you might choose to play one? Right. Well, uh, they, they have come together over the years, and, and Guy has helped me a great deal. Um, and, um, uh, and just my own interest in music and sound. Um, the there's um, the the pieces the the instruments that I have um, do have a kind of harmonic uh, relationship to each other. So I would say of the thirty five that I play in a session, I think there's um, give or take something like five groupings of about six or seven bowls, and so I'll move from one grouping or set to another. Um, it's improv, you know, for the most part, uh, every time I play. Uh, right now I'm playing about five times a week um, at, a, at a resort, um, a, a retreat spa in Lenox. And it's very different than Krupalu. Uh, Krupalu had a lot of people who meditated and who really had a lot of familiarity with sitting for an hour. Um, that's a little bit much for um, most civilians. And so... Um, I would say that in answer to your question, if I have around me some folks who are uh, more more experienced in a sit, um, I will play uh, a little bit more, um, uh, I'll probably play a little bit more spare, so longer intervals between strikes and, and um, more more space more space for the listener um whereas with uh, somebody who's not as experienced i might play with a little a little bit more vigorously and i might play um less intervals uh to keep them to sort of keep their mind occupied since sometimes people who are sitting um for the first time or are not used to sitting they 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 need to hear a a, a more constant sound especially for the better part of the beginning of a session uh, before they're ready to hear more silence. And in terms of what guides me, um, I guess, uh, I guess for me, it is um, more, uh, it is more about creating a sound that, um, um, It creates, uh, I think it's creating a sound that allows uh, the listener to sort of settle into something that they can then move with. Uh, I guess what I'm thinking about is how, well, especially at Kripalu, you know, I got a lot of feedback. We usually we would have a, 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 a feedback at the end of a session. So maybe we'd, the sit would be for an hour and then we'd take a quick break and then people would, would, would chat for about half an hour afterwards. And so what I got from that was how different the experience is for each person, even if I'm playing the same 
set. I mean, you could have 150 people listening to the exact same thing that I'm playing and there'll be 150 different experiences. Um, and uh, so what guides me to the next bowl is a sense of what's happening in the room and what's happening within the instruments on any given night. Um, as people who play these know, especially the antique bowls, um, they're, they're, um, th they can sound very differently. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, there's some consistency in the sound, of course, um, but, but they can relate to each other and they relate to the room and they relate to what's happening in the room a little differently, or I'm certainly hearing them a little differently depending on what's happening. If there are 150 people who are very still there's one thing going on, but if 30 people in that room are a little antsy or a little fidgety, uh, something else is going to be happening in that room. And so the, um, the session is affected by that, you know? Yeah. Let's unpack that a little bit more from both perspectives, you know, the sound worker and the audience within the sound, whether it's the harmonics, the, the pulsations, or the, just the acoustics of the room, what are you sensing when you play and what are you, what are you listening to? Mm, mm -hmm. um, well, many times, uh, let's see, there's a couple of things uh, that I'm listening to. It's a great question. So uh, let's think what, what could the player be listening to? Uh, he can be listening to the room itself and what's going on around the room and within the room. And that can include things like the heating system all of a sudden blowing on because you forgot to turn the thermostat down and now you're competing with the sound of the, of the room um, or the vacuum cleaner that somebody's using to clean the hallway outside the doors mm -hmm. or the car or the people just getting out of a bar down the street. So there's all these sort of external noises. Um, and in the beginning of of this work, I found it really challenging to be in a room that had um, the interruption of external noises uh, that would throw me and I would get perturbed and um, um, have to really kind of battle this inner uh, irritation that was going on. And that took a while to, to settle down with. Um, and then there's the audience itself, um, and in a small room or a big room, uh, as you probably know or have heard, um, especially if people are lying down, um, a lot of your work can be snore management, mm -hmm. and that um, can be really challenging because uh, people are tired, mm -hmm. but if you've got a, a somewhat small room that's with 20 people in it, and one, two, or three, or four people are snoring. Um, sometimes the snoring can be louder than the bowls, and and so you've you're kind of working with that. So kind of keeping an eye or listening for what's going on with 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 people, with the listeners and the participants, with their phones, with their snoring, with their candy wrappers, with with all of that, and and trying to sense again, like the external noises, you know, how to keep yourself centered um, with that. Uh, so working outwardly, uh, so outside noises and then the inside the room noises, you know, of participants. And then you're, and then you're listening. Uh, the next round of listening is, is just your own listening. You're moving around. You're, did you put on the wrong yoga pants for the session and you've got slightly crispy sounding pants that mm -hmm. sound like sandpaper when they're sliding across from each other. And mm -hmm. now you're irritated at yourself for not wearing your softer yoga pants mm -hmm. um, to, um, have, you know, mistakenly um, moving your foot in such a way that it kicks a stick into a bowl and you had this nice little groove going. Mm -hmm. And now there's this tinny clang that just happened to interrupt the last 20 minutes of you did of what you did. Um, and then you hear this sound of huge disappointment erupting in your throat um, that you weren't more focused, you know. Um, and and so there's that. And then you come in and yet one more layer of the listening experience, which is what's going on in your mind. And what are you thinking about? 
and are you there are you being present or are you thinking about what's going to happen after class or how you have to pack up all these bowls and it's going to take an hour and there's snow on the ground and the elevator's not working and again kind of losing your sense of of presence in the class um or hearing something emotional going on you know within your heart and that is keeping you from being present um so there's all of there's all these layers of sound that um can be uh um in the way of the very thing that you're there to do and um and then there's the sound of the bulls themselves and um and in, and in particular, um, and and most powerfully for me is is the the space in between the sounds and what happens when the session is over, and for a while there's just a quiet sit and the bulls are done. Um, that silent space is it can be very profound and very remarkable um, at, at how still it is. When I'm listening to the bulls themselves and all of that stuff is cleared out, and I, I'll have to say that it did take, it took me a couple of years to get to a place where all of those external sounds, whether it be out on the street or in the room or within myself, it took a couple of years to figure out how to, how to manage myself mm -hmm. in the face of all that um, so that I could be in the moment more fully. And uh, once I was able to click into that, um, through those layers of irritation and and uh, being um, distracted, really, uh, I was able to get much closer to the to the craft of this work, um, which is to really follow the sounds as they go out and around the room, and the way the sound comes back, and developing a closer relationship uh, with each instrument and and how it wants to be played and with what with what implement because uh, as you know you can have one bowl and and come up with all kinds of different sounds um depending on what you what you're playing it with and so starting to really learn how a certain bowl really responds differently to even a slightly different mallet with a slightly different hardness or wrapping around it um so it became a more intimate listening process but it, it took a while it took a while I'm mm -hmm. um, now um, the place I work at now, which is still open. Uh, it's been open during the pandemic. Um, they actually built a sound pod that can hold uh, maybe about 12 people and it's lined in cork. It is uh, a separate building from the rest of the main building. Wow. And so there's nothing around it above it or below it. Um, uh, I have control over the heating system, and that's the only. Um, there's one outlet uh, in this in this room, and otherwise, um, there's hardly any right angles. Uh, it is. Um, it's a really. It's been made specifically for acoustic instruments, mm -hmm. and specifically for um, this kind of uh, vibrational sound therapy. Mm -hmm. And I'm there four days a week, and it's really. Uh, remarkable to walk into a room that is completely silent there's nothing mm -hmm. there's nothing around me there's nothing above me i'm not near a road there's no vacuum cleaners there's no african drum class below me there's there's zero happening and so the the silence is so uh sweet it's so remarkable that when people walk into the space um it already like things are are already beginning for them be, because of that silence and also the way i have uh, set up the space uh, you know this is sort of where i was able to use my museum and art installation background to create something visually very appealing um so as soon as they walk in there's there's something they're seeing that they've never seen before and they're walking into a space that uh something um subliminally is affecting them in that there is n no audio or sonic distraction going on and that's very novel for a modern person yeah can you do i was curious if your art design came in a little bit can you describe visually you know what what you're providing what somebody might see when they walk in a room mm. like that 
Yeah, so I have, um, uh, um, I've made and found uh, a series of, of um, benches and stands and, and different um, all wood um, uh, things for the bowls to go on. The, the basic setup is there is a eight foot round oriental rug and the benches are um, curved benches so they go around the rug in a circular fashion um, so it's like a little and then there's um, different stands on the benches on the curved benches um, that make the bowls higher or lower so it's a little like um, let's see it's got a combination of sort of a ufo quality uh, with uh, um, a kind of layered cake um, um, it's a ring of bowls and um, uh, the bowls all have um, candles in them um, so they're internally lit uh, which is nice in the evening um, and uh, there's a there's a real kind of wow factor when you walk in um, just because it is so novel um, and exotic um, to see that and also there's something about having you know 35 antique instruments that are you know, 100, 200 years old. Some of them are a little bit older. Um, and so because most of them have only been here for the last 10 years or so, um, the fellow I got them from would go to Kathmandu, would go to, uh, um, to these collectors and, and from over there and, and pick them up. So they still have, you know, yak butter in the bottom of them and, and, and some of that Himalayan dust. Mm-hmm. And so that 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 cumulative effect um, of having, let's say, uh, forty five hundred years or so in a in a small space, you know, the bowls are round, the layout is round, um, this ring or it's uh, this sort of crown of bowls, this eight foot crown, if you will, uh, and because it's the light is coming from inside the bowl, so it feels sort of bejeweled. Um, is a is is mesmerizing uh, in its own right, and um, and makes me feel so uh, glad to go to work in this unique office, um, um, to sit in the middle of this and play. and And I think people who who do this work uh, recognize that you know one of the benefits of it is that you are being worked on every time you play. Right. And you know, unlike a massage therapist who has to kind of rub their thumbs at the end of a session, um, you know, you're not getting worn out doing this work, which is pretty amazing. So I enjoy the beauty of it, the aesthetics of it and the sound of it. So you have the the sound that you're working with, the this visual, and then how do you connect with the audience and kind of create the trust of, of what you're going to do in your your sound sessions mm-hmm. uh, usually in the beginning um well again what i've been noticing lately because of the community that i'm working with many of them are completely unfamiliar with this practice whereas kupalu um was uh, uh, m- much more familiar with it but either way uh, usually the first five minutes or so are um, uh, just some some basic attention to breathing. Um, and lately I've been asking people to uh, just to pay attention with, to what's on their mind uh, before we even start. Um, since we're, we mostly live in our mind, that's our that's the person we talk to most as ourselves. So I ask people to, as they settle in and close their eyes, I ask them to to check in on what's going on with their mind, see what's there without getting too involved with the story. And um, and then using their breath to sort of shift down into the feeling body and take a look at what's happening there. What do you what are you coming in with? Um, what are you working with in the emotional realm? And just sort of observe that. Um, and then we might just do some some basic uh, breathing exercises. Um, and then probably come in with some Koshi chimes just to start it off um, and, um, and then go into the session. Um, uh, these days, um, before, they, before we sit, 
uh, I might ask them a little bit. If, if it's just one or two people, I might ask them a little bit about what's going on for them without them revealing too much. Um, you know, just finding out, are they, you know, are they kind of in a, have they been at the resort uh, retreat center for a day or two, or do they just arrive, you know, to what degree are they sort of settled um, uh, or are they, are they feeling a little unnerved by a long trip? So just trying to get a sense of where they're at and then um, trying to cleanse the palate a little bit uh, in their mental and emotional body uh, through this check-in, which at the end of the session, say 45 or 50 minutes later, I'll have them do the same scan. What's on your mind? Take a moment to look at that. Then what's on your, you know, sort of what's in your heart or where's your emotional body? It's so sort of bookending the, the, the session with a look. And typically speaking, uh, people will notice that what was on their mind 45 minutes earlier is dust at this point. Um, and similarly, uh, whatever they're holding emotionally, it may not be gone, but there's just more breathing room around it. They're less compressed uh, by the weight of whatever they were working with emotionally. Um, or if they, if they can't settle into this session and they do find that what's on their mind uh, still dominates. Um, sometimes they'll, they'll find that the session allows them to move around the thought or, or move around the mental body in, um, in a fresh way and see some different elements that maybe uh, they weren't able to, to see, you know, cause, because now there's a little bit more space. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say, I, I have uh I have, um, as I mentioned, you know, over the years, people have had a lot of different different responses to to what it was like for them, and they've shared that. And um, I thought, if you'd like, I could tell you a few things that people oh, yeah. have said. That'd be great. Yeah. Um, so there was a woman who um, who had had uh, hormone and fertility concerns as she was trying to get pregnant. And um, during the session, she had a vision of uh, holding small children in her arms. Mm. Um, there was a woman who spoke of being quite frightened for the whole session, uh, but she felt like she needed to experience the fear. And so she stayed with it um, until it sort of moved into something less like a tidal wave and just more like, um, she said, it just, it, it's, it's like the wave just kept on getting smaller. Um, one woman said that she loved all the sounds, except there was one that made her back molar hurt and she realized she needed to go see a dentist. Um, another, an elderly woman who, who said she had had arthritis for about 30 years in both hands said that there, during the session, the pain went away in her right hand completely, but not her left. And then when the session was over, the pain came back. Um, Many people reported seeing colors um, and shapes of colors. So those are, you know, synesthesia type folks. Mm -hmm. um, uh, one, um, one woman, she spoke about um, how she felt like she was growing into a huge giant with mm -hmm. masculine energy and that she was 75 feet tall. And then when the sounds stopped, she retracted back into her body and it felt cramped and small to, to be within that body. Wow. Mm. Um, this was interesting. There was a, a woman. So uh, here in New England, um, in this particular part of New England, we have uh, our indigenous folk, our Mohican. Mm -hmm. And um, there was a woman who pretty early on in the session, I could see uh, she was sitting up and weeping. And, uh, and afterwards she shared with the group that um, her mother had passed away about a year earlier and she was very heartbroken over the loss of her mom. And that early in the session uh, with her eyes closed, she saw in her mind's eye uh, a large wolf approaching her. And initially she was frightened. And so she sort of backed up in her imagination to get away from it. And it said to her in her mother's voice, I'm here for you. And it laid down at her feet. And it turned out that Wolf was the family's animal totem. Uh, 
and she had realized that her mom had somehow uh, converged with this um, this wolf in her mind's eye. And so for the next hour during the session, she had this reunion with her mom um, and was very, very moved. Now, what I love about that particular session was that right next to her, maybe two seats over, there was a woman checking her Instagram account for the entire session, mm. uh, swiping. And she had um, uh, bangles, you know, around her wrist. Oh. And every time she swiped, they would, they would jangle a little bit. And, <laughs> and so she could have, you know, she couldn't have cared less about the session. Wow. And meanwhile, six feet over, there was a woman who really was touching into something deeply moving, mm-hmm. you know, um, other things are, are things like, you know, uh, some people feel like they're floating. Other people feel like they're being grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a, a, a Japanese, uh, husband and wife, uh, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, she it's afterwards, it was very broken English. Uh, she didn't speak English very well. So she needed her husband's help, but she was able to say that she felt like during the session, it felt like um, thoughts were trying to come at her head, she said, and uh, but they couldn't get in because um, she felt like she had a, and then she, she couldn't say the words, she only knew it in Japanese, so she said it to her husband, and he said to me in English, uh, force field. She felt like she had a force field around her, keeping the thoughts away from her, mm. um, which I thought was really interesting mm-hmm. and very Japanese too. You know, if you grew up in Japan with anime mm-hmm. and and all of that, force fields are are sort of the thing. Um, um, and uh, you know, at Kripalu, uh, most of the folks who come, most of the participants are are women, ninety five percent. Uh, of attendees are women and 5% are men. And, and most of those guys don't want to be there. You know, they lost a bet with their wife or something like that. And, and um, so I had a guy come in, he was in his, I would say mid to late sixties. He comes into the room. There's a lot of people in there. The bowls are glowing. It's all very beautiful. He looks at me, crosses his arms. And he says to me, uh, so what am I supposed to get out of this? And, I'm wearing a Kripalu shirt with my name tag and, and um, my drawstrings. And so I'm supposed to say something, you know, to toe the corporate line and, and respond accordingly about rest and recharging and, mm-hmm. you know, maybe, maybe your third chakra or something like that. And, and, he, but I knew he wasn't going to get anything from that. So I blurted out, um, uh, well, you might get nothing out of it, sir. <laughs> and he, uh, he goes in. And we have the session and it's it's uh, we're wrapping up and I'm standing by the door during the break and he's he's starting to walk out and I look at him and I said so how was that for you and he looks at me and he said nothing happened and um, and then he winks at me and he says come here come here and he takes me out to the hall where nobody could see him and he said I gotta tell you I gotta tell you what happened I said tell me he said I'm sitting there and I'm looking around and I'm realizing that there's 150 people around me and everybody's just still and silent and nobody's moving and everyone's just got their eyes closed. And he said, I've, I've never seen, I've never, he was struggling to find his words. He said, I've not, I've never seen anything like that. He said, uh, you weren't trying to entertain us. You weren't performing. It, it was all, there was this stillness and it was so quiet. He said that, he said that, that part was amazing. Mm. And I realized that for him, that, that was the revelation right. was that we could sit in community silently, nobody reading anything, no, nothing going on really. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty, pretty spare experience. And he was really taken by that by that experience of all of us just being there together um, in stillness, in silence. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's when I, I started to really recognize more than ever that 
you don't know what somebody's going through when they show up with these sessions. You don't know what they're bringing and um, and what kind of attitude or mood they're in. And what is going to happen to them in that session is really way out of your control. We're, you know, and to 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 do for me to try and do a session with the purpose of getting somebody to a particular place would would I think really have me be getting in the way of where they need to go and what they need to, to, to have happen on that particular night. Right. Right. And that's for me, I agree. I mean, that's really kind of where you realize that this, it is so personal because when you get that feedback, when people share with you, um, the response is, is so different for everybody. Um, and that's why the, the question, what is the sound work? What is sound healing, sound therapy? You know, people almost, they have to experience it for themselves because it is so uh, versatile. It is so different. And I think the one thing that really is true, what you've said is, you know, a lot of people, meditation in general is very hard uh, to do. And just, you know, clearing the thoughts, it just isn't something that they can do or is difficult. But when they have the sound, you know, really a point of focus and, and the space in between that stillness, they find that they are really able to be present with just the sound and all of a sudden, oh, I, I don't have any thoughts or they're open mm. to these other things happening, you know, whether it's mm. vi visions or, or colors or whatever it might be. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. There's, there's uh, a piece of that that you remind me of, um, which is the uh, fairly regular response um, of feeling like the whole thing took five minutes, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And and uh, what do you make of that? This this notion that that a session that lasts forty five, fifty minutes, sixty minutes, and people feel like it, the whole thing was over in five, maybe ten at the most. What's your sense of how that how that happens? Yeah, I mean, we we lose time. I think in a way it must have to do something with our brainwave state slowing down so much I think it could be uh, and just this sense of presence I mean gosh we're not thinking about all our worries we're not making the our lists for what we have to do next that there's just this place this still point where um, there's no concern about time that's yeah right. yeah. yeah it seems like people are sort of lifted outside of time mm -hmm. for a little bit. They're mm -hmm. sort of lifted outside the river of time. Mm -hmm. And um, um, it's really, it's that's a remarkable element of it, uh, I think. And there's, there's something there. Um, maybe in part, what sound is able to do is, is um, connect us to some, you know, to the subtle worlds a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, open us up to the subtle worlds. Um, which again, as modern people, we're not, um, we're not trained to do. We, we just don't have time to, to, to be sensitive to the invisible worlds, to the, to these other dimensions that are around us and in us and somehow sound, um, uh, you know, not jackhammers, but, um, well-played harmonic sound, uh, that's, that's, you know, uh, cared for, um, can be, uh, a bit of a portal. Um, and, and people slip into something really quite lovely and, and good for them, mm. you know, good for them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's, it is wonderful that you're able to still, uh, provide these services. I know that many people aren't right now. Um, so just kind of bringing it to the present and, uh, what you're able to do with, with your learning and all that you've, you're exploring, both in, in your sessions and any um, studying or research you're continuing to do, what, what part of your work is most important to you right now and what curiosity is, is coming forth these days? Well, I, as you said, I, I'm lucky in that I'm able to continue to play mm -hmm. and, um, and have a space and have people come. Um, it's certainly, I've certainly noticed over the last year or so, uh, and even before the pandemic, uh, that um, 
more people are are entering this space pretty agitated um, either either in the mental body or in the physical body uh, and the emotional body and um, and so I'm really uh, I really care about how those how those two places the, the mind and 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 the emotions um, you know what what ways can those areas be settled a little bit so that some some equilibrium and some homeostasis can show up in the spirit of a person because uh, it's very hard to settle down if if, you, if the mind is just chewing on itself or the emotional body is is overwhelmed um, and and for me now sort of making my way towards not quite 10 years i've i've noticed that i i've uh, I've got a, a much longer fuse uh, than I ever had. Mm-hmm. Uh, just, it just takes a lot for me to become irritated at this point. Mm-hmm. And um, and my 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 depression, which I had in my system, you know, I sort of inherited from my family for a long time, has also really lifted. Uh, starting about five years ago, mm-hmm. um, I noticed it really lifted. So so the the piece around. Um, Finding some methods to create spaciousness and breathing room inside this uh, this physical body and inside these um, these these places where we spend a lot of time, which is our mind and our and our feeling body, creating some some spaciousness in there, um, either either with these instruments or in particular also i notice uh, again like after it's over after the session is over and we just go into a sit for five or ten minutes i notice for myself and i've heard uh, listeners say it as well that um thoughts seem kind of dumb after a session like they seem like a waste of time because it's the same thought you thought like 40 times already that day you know or this or this the the feeling is just like enough already with with feeling this particular feeling whatever it may be and so it almost is like the the instruments these bowls seem to um uh like the sound of them is great i love the harmonics i love the way that the the sound plays off of each other and and the unique things that can happen but it's almost like they're all preparation for the silence at the end of the session because that's when something really remarkable comes in and that remarkableness can be, well, I'm okay, I'm, I'm okay, and that's um, um, a very precious medicine um, these days in a world where we uh, often don't feel okay, or we're worried about, you know, ourselves or our loved ones. To to feel that sense of okayness is um, really a blessing, really a blessing. So I guess that's what, uh, as, given the times we're living in, uh, I want to try and just continue to um, uh, live in that by continuing to do this practice, but also be able to, to bring that um, as a sort of central function of the work mm-hmm. um, and central function of the session. Right. Yeah, and at a, at a time that just really is so challenging for everyone with the anxieties and the worries that it really is centered in the in the mind i'm just wondering for people that can't go attend things in person and 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 receive what you're facilitating any suggestions for for something somebody could do at home just to find that spaciousness and find that breathing room Mm -hmm. yeah well, there is something about ambient sound work um, rather than um, music that has a strong narrative uh, to it. And I love listening to music that has a strong narrative and being sort of taken away by um, by all the great musicians and singer-songwriters and, and the beat and the rhythm of, of, of people jamming out. I mean, that's a, a great way to... Um, to sort of let the day go away or, or slip away. But in terms of dropping in and, and, and moving inward, 
there is something about ambient sound and and there's certainly um uh what is that great radio station uh, uh um sounds of space uh it's on pbs uh, it's on npr right, on right. Mm-hmm. um so these sort of more ambient uh compositions um to listen to them uh you know either on headphones or with a decent set of speakers and you know try and track the breath a little bit um either with some simple breathing patterns uh, the two four breath uh i think is really helpful these days that's the inhale somewhat fully for a count of two and then slow the exhale down for a count of four um, and try doing that a few times in for two and out for four that seems to 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 sort of down regulate um the the nervous system a fair amount um and um you know just trying to to to, to settle into that breath and then see where those ambient sounds move you now of course, one of the things that can happen, and, and this definitely happens for me at times during a session, uh, I can tell that it's actually people start to settle down and then they start getting nervous because it's the first time in quite a while that they are making room for their feeling body or the anxiety to show up there. And so they're not eating a donut. They're not going to a Netflix. They're not going to all the ways in which we kind of redirect ourselves away from what's actually going on. Mm-hmm. So oddly enough, you could settle down into a nice, a nice place with nice music. And, and all of a sudden you're starting to feel uneasy mm-hmm. because your nervous system is starting now to, to, uh, to melt a little bit. And so those first layers of relaxation can actually be a little uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, so getting, getting, getting okay with that discomfort is not easy because the inclination is, ah, screw this. I'm going to go get some ice cream. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's tricky. Yeah. Yeah. That's really well put. We have our, our distractions and actually allowing ourselves to slow down like that. Some things might, might come up and just to, to allow that and surrender to it so you can get deeper past it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And if you don't have any, if you don't have a guide there, if you don't have anyone helping you, who can let you know that it's okay what you're feeling right now, because it might be, you might need to feel it for five, six, seven minutes, um, uh, which can feel like eternity and feel like hell. Um, but you might need to go through a, a whole layer before you can uh, feel something a little smoother underneath. And if you don't have help with that, that can be challenging. And of course, it seems these days there's lots of guided meditation mm-hmm. and, and mindfulness pieces that can perhaps be helpful if the person whose voice you're listening to, you can click with. Mm. Um, and that, that's really important. There's um, a lot of people sometimes who will uh, over sugarcoat the session and make it so damn sweet. And what you're feeling is you need something, you know, it'd be better for you to have a truck driver read it because you just mm-hmm. need something kind of heavy and, and, and more blue collar walking right. you through a session. Mm-hmm. And, and so it's really um, finding the right finding the right person to to walk you through that mm-hmm. is is super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. That makes sense because we all resonate with something differently, and and uh, one person's m- approach might be great for me, but not someone else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and and really, the, the I think um, just circling back uh, to the work you're doing here, it's it's that tone of voice. Um, and if they, if that tone of voice doesn't work with where you're at, um, it, it can actually, it can really be quite a bother. Mm. Where, whereas if the tone of voice is is what you need in that moment, um, just that tone, mm-hmm. uh, let alone what they're guiding you to do or right. what they're saying, it doesn't. That might not even matter so much. Mm-hmm. You just you just feel better listening to that sound of that particular person. Well, great. Thank you so much, Rudy. Is there anything that we haven't gotten to that you'd like to mention? Uh, well, no, I, that feels um, like we spoke about a lot of things, and I, yeah. I appreciate the way you uh, guided us through that conversation, Now, Perfect. Well, excellent. So nice to get to know you a bit through this, and I really do appreciate your time and, and all that you're doing. How cool. I want to see this sound pod at your... Mm. <laughs> that sounds amazing. 
<laughs> it's pretty amazing. And yeah. thank you for the work you're doing oh, and spreading you. the word and uh, and keeping this conversation alive for folks. It's uh, it's no small thing. We appreciate it. Oh, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. All you right. Bet. Okay. Well, thank take, you. Take care. We'll talk soon. Bye. Okay. Bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Sounds Heal Podcast, sponsored by the Ohm Shop and Spa. And keep up to date with what's coming up next at SoundsHealStudio.com. Check things out on Facebook at Sounds Heal Studio. And you can listen to all previous podcasts, as well as music meditations, on the YouTube channel at Sounds Heal Studio. Be well and stay tuned.